We're going to read verses 8 through 14. Go ahead and stand as you grab your Bible, and we'll read this together. I'll read it out loud, and you can follow along with us. Luke chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. This is on page 858, if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. Luke chapter 3, verses 8 through 14. And remember, as we read, we're reading God's word. John the Baptist is speaking. He says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. That's God's word. You may be seated. This is our fourth week of this series called Building a Stronger Church. And we began the series looking at the idea that there's, there's one main thing that amazes Jesus, that Jesus marvels at, and that is the idea of faith. And we asked, why would Jesus marvel at faith? What's so amazing to Jesus about faith? And what we said was, faith is really at its heart trust. That's what faith is. And trust is the centerpiece of every great relationship. And that's why Jesus is focused on, excited about when we trust him. Because he wants us to have a deep relationship with him. And so what we've been saying throughout this series is that our church will go, grow stronger to the degree that each person's trust in God and therefore relationship with God is deepening. So that's what we've been looking at each of these weeks. We, we began with that, and then we looked at the idea of spiritual breathing, that we grow closer to God through breathing in God's word and breathing out prayer. And then Matthew last week uh, helped us look at sin and how fighting sin, sin is the major enemy, right? Every time we're tempted to sin, it's saying, you can't trust God, don't trust God, he's not worth it, right? And that's what sin is. And so we fight sin, we resist sin, not just because it's wrong, but because it, it hurts our closeness with the Lord. So that's what we've been looking at. That's why we want you to be part of this 24-hour prayer thing, by the way. I don't expect anything magic to happen in the 24 hours of prayer. But I do think that it will be an important sort of stake in the ground, line in the sand moment for you to go, I am serious about growing close to the Lord and fighting sin. That's why I hope you'll be part of it. But today, we're going to look at uh, how our faith grows in relation to money. To money. Now that inherently makes all of us feel a little nervous, the idea of money. We like it when we talk about prayer, and we like it when we talk about sin, and we talk about money. It's like, ah, I'm not so exactly sure about this. We're especially nervous about people taking our money. I heard the story of the little boy who was praying to the Lord for $100. And he prayed and he prayed. Weeks went by, and the Lord didn't answer his prayer. And so he said, you know what, I need to up the ante. I need to write a letter to God. And so he wrote a letter to the Lord asking for $100. And he didn't know where to address it exactly, so he just addressed it, the Lord, USA. Well, the post office wasn't really sure what to do with this. And so they said, well, 
it's the closest thing is the president. Let's send it to him. And so they sent it to the president, and the president was tickled by this request and thought it was really cute. And so he told his secretary, hey, send the boy back five bucks. You know, that's a lot for a kid. And, and go ahead and send that back to him. And so the kid got that money back, and he wrote the Lord a thank you note. Here's what he wrote. Dear Lord, thank you very much for sending me the money. However, I noticed that for some reason, you had to send it through Washington, D.C. And as usual, those jerks deducted $95. Right? And, and no, one's, no one's interested in paying more taxes. No one's interested in paying more than we have to for things. But today, what we're going to talk about is money and specifically generosity. Now, generosity can be broad, right? We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our intellect. We can be generous with our relationships. I think one of the most difficult areas to be generous is with our money. And some of you will say, well, how is generosity connected to faith? I get how prayer and Bible reading and fighting sin, how is that connected to faith? But, but I get that. But what about generosity? What is that about faith? And here's what you need to see about generosity, is that generosity is both a thermometer and a thermostat of your faith. Generosity is a thermometer of your faith. You know what a thermometer is. You look at it to read the temperature. It reads the temperature. And so in the same way, your generosity, how you view money, how you handle money, gives us a read, gives you a read of your faith. How deeply do you trust the Lord? That's really the point of this particular passage we read. What we read here in Luke chapter 3 was John the Baptist, and he's saying, repent, turn from your sin, have faith in God. And they say, how? What do we do? And did you notice that all three of his answers back had to do with money? Because your generosity and the way you handle money is a thermometer of your faith, right? Here's what he says. Whoever has two tunics is to share one with him who has none. To tax collectors, right? Tax collectors were prone to take more than they needed and keep the rest. He says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. To the soldiers, he says, do not extort money from anyone. Right? You would expect him to say, go to temple every day. Read the scriptures. Make sure you pray. That's how we'll know you're bearing fruit and keeping with repentance. But no, he talks about money because money is a thermometer of our faith. It reads how warm our trust towards the Lord is. But money and generosity is also a thermostat. See, a thermostat's different than a thermometer. A thermometer simply reads to you what's there. A thermostat sets the temperature, right? You can make a room colder or hotter by where you set the thermostat. And in the same way, generosity is a thermostat. If you want to increase your trust in the Lord, you can do that through generosity. And we know this because Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, said this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart, he says, follows your treasure. So do you want your, your heart to be warmer in trust towards the Lord? Then you can set that thermostat of generosity with your treasure. Generosity is the therm thermometer and the thermostat of our, of our faith. And I want to tell you up front something I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you at the end of this sermon to give... For 90 days of increased intentional generosity. Okay, so I'm gonna, that's going to come later, but I just want to prepare you. You're going, was he going to ask me for something? Yeah, I am. I'm just telling you up front, I'm going to ask you to give more generously than you ever have for 90 days. So we'll get to that 
a little bit later. But here's an important couple of caveats that I want you to know, um, is that our church is not desperate for money. For four years as we've been a church, every year uh, your giving has exceeded our budgeted need. And uh, someone asked, do the pastors like keep that as a bonus? Or, Boy, wouldn't that be great? And then I'd really want you to be, no, of, cor- of course we don't. Uh, that money goes into a, goes into a, a pool that, that helps sort of fund uh, opportunities and projects across Redemption Church. Uh, for instance, we're, we're actually in the process right now of beginning to explore the reality that we'll probably want to have some land, some full-time uh, permanent facility some point in our future. And so we're beginning to explore that. And, and those kind of overages might help contribute to something like that in the future. Uh, so no, we don't keep that. But we're not, in, we're not in desperation here as a church. This is not fueled by, oh no, how are we going to keep the lights on and pay our pastors and do, do all that. you get that? In fact, this church has been marked by generosity. Not just in our general giving, but I was just at camp, as I said, this weekend. And there were nine students there that were there because someone intentionally sought Josh out and said, I'd like to pay for a student to go to camp. So generosity is part of our church. It's part of our culture. So this is not a rebuke at anybody. If, if you're thinking, oh, he's, he's kind of, I, I don't know what you give. So, so it's not any of that. I also want to be clear on this. I, I think people that love their church should support their church. But for the sake of what we're talking about today, I don't care if you give a penny to our church. What I do care about is that you set the thermostat of generosity in your life hotter. Because that's what will grow your faith. This is not about what I want from you. This is truly what I want for you. And along those lines, we're also going to have resources available. And and next Monday, there's a financial peace university class that's going to start here. And we've had uh, dozens of people um, cut thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in debt, literally cut credit cards up, figure out a biblical way to handle their finances. We've got these tools. We've got this opportunity. You can sign up for this class. We would love for you to be part of it. This is how we want to help you grow. This is not about let's try to squeeze everything we can out out of these folks. Do you get that? Hope you sense even my heart on that. So here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want to look at four truths about generosity. And most of the time uh, when I preach, it's usually through a book of the Bible or through a passage of Scripture or something like that. Today we're going to look at a number of different passages. None of these are ripped out of context. They're all specifically dealing with money and, and generosity. But four truths about generosity. And these, I hope, will get increasingly practical. Okay, so here's the first truth about generosity. You got to get this: is that generosity comes from God, the ultimate giver. Generosity comes from God. He's the ultimate giver. If you have heard any verse in the Bible, it's probably John three sixteen. And notice what John three sixteen says: For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did not give because he was needy. And Jesus Christ even says that he voluntarily gave his life. No one took it from him. So at the heart of God is a God who sees us and is generous toward us. And listen, you are made in God's image. In his likeness. To reflect him. This is why we love to give. This is why giving is fun. This is why even non-Christians, people that don't know God, still enjoy giving. Right? It's not uncommon for people to talk about non-Christians that volunteer at soup kitchens on Thanksgiving or whatever and go, oh, they're, see, they're just selfish. It's just all about them. 
Maybe that's a part of it, but you know what I think it is? They're made in God's image. So of course they enjoy being generous because that's how God is. I was listening to Dave Ramsey on the radio the other day. He said, giving is the most fun you'll ever have with money. You never miss money you give. You miss money you waste. You miss money that you spent for things that are breaking down. You miss money you loan to a family member. They hardly ever pay it back. But you don't miss money that you give. Because generosity comes from God, the ultimate giver, and you're made in his image. Here's the second truth about generosity. Generosity is easier when you see everything you have as a gift from God. Generosity is easier when you see everything you have as a gift from God. The very first verse that I had to learn as it related to, to money when Molly and I were taking a class on money early in our marriage was this. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, it says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Do you get that? God God owns everything. And here's what he says. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Everything you have, everything I have is from God. Everything. By the way, this is one of the ways that you can tell whether you're an authentic Christian or simply a moralist. Right? A moralist is someone that's trying to work their way to heaven, right? And a moralist goes, you know what? I think God owes me. I've worked hard. I've done the right thing. I think God owes me a little bit. An authentic Christian says, God, everything I have is yours. All the stuff I have. For sure, the salvation I have, I owe everything to you. Have you ever given your kids a candy bar? You just are trying to be kind, you're trying to be generous, and you give them a candy bar, and then you're looking at them, and you go, hey, can I have a bite? And they're like, no, it's mine. And you're like, are you kidding me? I gave you that candy bar. You're not even going to let me have a bite? No, it's mine. Do you ever think that perhaps God looks at us and goes, you know the only reason you have that is because I gave it to you, right? No, it's mine. But if you realize it's not yours, it's his, then generosity is easier when you see that everything you have is a gift from him. Here's the third truth about generosity is that it feels difficult when you have no margin. Or if you have debt. So some of you are in a place where even just this topic, you go, yes, I'd love to be generous. I'd love to be able to give more money away. And I'd love to be able to bless more people. But, but you don't understand. I've got no margin. I've got no gap. I've got no room. And, and I'm even upside down on some things. And, and so I want you to know that there's some very important, there's an important first step. Before you think about generosity, there's an important first step you've got to look at. It's very serious. If you don't get anything else, Today, make sure that if this is your situation, you get this. Okay, take take a look. Okay. 
These numbers to add up. It's like we're never gonna get out of this hole. Credit card debt, does it ever end? <laughs> Maybe I can help. We sure could use it. We've tried debt consolidation companies. We've even taken out loans to help make payments. Well, you're not the only ones. Did you know millions of Americans live with debt they cannot control? That's why I developed this unique new program for managing your debt. It's called Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. Oh, let me see that. If you don't have any money, you should not buy anything. Hmm, sounds interesting. Sounds confusing. I don't know, honey. This makes a lot of sense. There's a whole section here on how to buy expensive things using money you save. Give me that. And where would you get this saved money? I tell you where and how in chapter three. Okay, but what if I want something but I don't have any money? You don't buy it. Well, let's say I don't have enough money to buy something. Should I buy it anyway? No. Now I'm really confused. It's a little confusing at first. Well, what if you have the money? Can you buy something? Yes. Now take the money away. Same story? Nope. You shouldn't buy stuff when you don't have the money. I think I got it. I buy something I want and then hope that I can pay for it, right? <laughs> no. You make sure you have money, then you buy it. Oh, then you buy it. But shouldn't you buy it before you have the money? No. Why not? It's in the book. It's only one page long. <laughs> the advice is priceless, and the book is free. Wow, I like the sound of that. Yeah, we can put it on our credit card. <laughs> so get out of debt now. Write for your free copy of Don't Buy Stuff You Cannot Afford. And if you order now, you'll also receive Seriously. If you don't have the money, don't buy it. Along with a 12-month subscription to Stop Buying Stuff magazine. So order today. That's funny. And, and here's the thing is everybody finds that funny. Even if, even if you're in debt. Now, it may be painfully funny. But... But we find that funny, and, and it's such an obvious thing, right? I mean, when they repeat it over and over, you're like, okay, I got it. But why do we do it? If it's so obvious, and if it can be so funny in a moment like that, why do we do it? I think the reason we do it is because, in many cases, we're after a standard of living. Maybe it's, i got to have better than my parents provided me. I don't want my kids to want for anything. And, and here's something you got to see. you got to understand this. There is a massive difference between a standard of living and quality of life. There's a massive difference. And some of you, you have a wonderful standard of living, but you're living at such a tight margin, or maybe that's even an upside-down kind of margin, and the quality of life is miserable. See, I think so many people in our culture and in our community in particular live in what you might call affluent poverty. Have you ever seen someone and you go to their house or you, know, you see what they're wearing or you see their car and you go, how do they afford to have that car? You know what the answer is a lot of times? They can't. But in a pursuit of a standard of living, we forsake a quality of life. 
And that debt and that marginless living makes us slaves to money. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. And you expect him to say, you can't serve Satan or God, right? You can't serve them both. But, but the chief enemy of God is not Satan. It's money. It's stuff. This is why in Proverbs 22 it says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Some of you have that experience, right? Bank of America calls yet again. And uh, they don't know you, and you don't know them, and, but you don't like them very much. Right? Why? Because you're a slave. And so, so the first step, if you want to be generous, because my assumption here, based on the fact that you're made in the image of God, is that all of us would love to be more generous. But we find all sorts of reasons, and some of them feel very legitimate reasons, why we can't be generous. And so if this is one of them, is that things are, there's just not enough margin, things are just a little, you're upside down on some stuff. That's, that's why this Financial Peace University class would be a crucial thing for you to take. Because that's going to be the first step in freeing up the ability to be generous for the rest of your life. Generosity comes from God. He's the ultimate giver. It's easier when you see all things are from him. It feels difficult when there's no margin. And here's the fourth truth, is that generosity grows through intentionality. Generosity grows through intentionality. We would love it if generosity would grow automatically. We think that, you know, if... When I make more money, I'll be more generous. And we imagine that, that as our income rises, our generosity will rise with it. But for most people, that's not the case. And, and some of us even go, you know what, Lord, I can't really be generous right now, but if you would help me win the lottery, God, I promise I would give you like half of it. A, you shouldn't be playing the lottery. It's bad stewardship. B, why would God entrust you with lottery winnings if he can't entrust you with a job? Why would you be generous with that if you won't be generous with this? Right? John Rockefeller said, I would have never tithed on my first million dollars if I hadn't tithed on my first minimum wage paycheck. Generosity doesn't increase automatically. It increases intentionally. That's why one of the key ideas when you think about generosity in the Bible is intentionality. Here's how the Apostle Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians 9. He's encouraging the Corinthians to give uh, towards a variety of projects. And here's what he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, oftentimes, people will use that last part, God loves a cheerful giver, to ignore the first part. Like cheerful just means, well, I'll just, if I feel led in the moment, I'll give cheerfully. Yeah, but, but the first part says, as you've decided in your heart. This means thoughtfully. This means prayerfully. This means intentionally. This means looking at how much money you make and deciding what you're going to live on, what you're going to save, what you're going to give. Giving generosity, it increases through intentionality. So I've got a number of, of sort of questions, some, some responses or some questions back that you might be thinking or that, that we might think if we're really wrestling through this, the questions that I thought as I prepared. First question is this, why aren't more Christians more generous? If we're made in the image of God and God has 
given us everything, and Christians of all people who knew that they were on a path away from God towards punishment, towards perishing, and God gives his only son so that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life with him. Why wouldn't we, out of all people, be more generous? You know, the average Christian, research has showed, gives somewhere in the ballpark of 25 to 3% of their income. Now, amazingly, that's actually more generous than most of the culture. But that's not that generous. So why aren't we more generous? I think the reason is we've bought into the world's approach to finances and and the culture's approach to generosity. And so uh, Andy Stanley shares this. I think it's really helpful. The difference between American giving and Christian giving. American giving is what you might call 3P, or I'm sorry, 3S giving. This is the way your average American, non-Christian gives. Spontaneous, sporadic, sparingly. Spontaneous would be the idea of uh, something's come up. uh, Hey, would you like to buy a shamrock for $1 to go to the children's hospital? Yes. Great. Okay, there's been a a hurricane. There's been a flood. There's been a this. There's a telethon. Could you give? Let's show the pictures of all the little kids that are starving. Could you give? Right. It's not thought out. It's not planned. It's spontaneous. Now, that's wonderful to give spontaneously. It's wonderful to be moved at the heart and to give. But if that's all our giving is... We're not going to be very generous. Listen, people who give spontaneously often keep more of their money spontaneously. But Americans give spontaneously. They give sporadically, here and there, if I feel like it, when when I'm kind of up for it, when there's some left over. This is the approach even some Christians take. One author I read in preparing for this talked about sporadic givers in the church as sort of God-tippers. I liked the service today. Yeah, put something in there, right? And I, I'm glad if you're blessed by our ministry. But, but you just need to understand, while that might feel generous to you, it's not generous in biblical standards, okay? So spontaneous, sporadic, sparingly. Sparingly is here's what I have left over. And listen, you don't serve a leftover God. Aren't you glad God didn't give you his leftovers? Gave you his best. And so Christian giving is in contrast to American giving. Rather than 3S, it's 3P. It's priority. Priority, meaning this is the first thing I give. I don't give what's left over. I give this. Like if, if I have anything that I do with my finances, it's give this. It's priority. It's also percentage. So rather than just being whatever's left over or whatever I feel like or whatever I got emotionally moved to at a fundraiser, it's percentage. It's intentional. It's as 2 Corinthians 9 had said, as I've decided in my heart, it's a percentage. And it's progressive. It's the idea of it's, it's progressively increasing. It's growing. It's, it's seeking to give more and more and more. A few years ago, Molly and I decided to make a goal. And I just, I share this, not to pat ourselves on the back, but to tell you I'm living what I'm talking about and 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 I and I have been so we've been so blessed by it I would want you to do the same as as we went a few years ago and you know what you know what what if we could give every year a percentage more what if we could just bump it up one percent because the reality is if if your pay if your job got cut by one percent you'd probably figure out a way to live through that right so what if every year we gave an additional percent 
And we haven't always been able to do it. One year we had a kid, and there were some expenses with that that we didn't expect and some things. But, but we've been able to do that. Progressive. At least that's the heart of the Christian, right? The heart of the Christian is, God, you gave me your best. I'm going to give you what's first. And I'm not going to give you just spare parts. I'm going to give you a, a significant percentage. And, and God, I want that to grow because my heart is to be generous. So then the question, how much should I give? Well, that's one way to ask the question. The other way to ask the question is, how much of God's money should I keep? But how much should I give? It's a very common question. And so here I turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Uh, Malachi, interestingly enough, is prophesying to a group of people whose faith is stagnant. Their trust in the Lord, their relationship with the Lord is apathetic. He's trying to awaken them. He's trying to stir them. He's trying to say, let's go, let's go. Follow the Lord. And here's what he says. Will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me the whole nation of you. Hold, hold on, just look at this for a second. Notice how many times he says the word robbing? Right? Let, let's call things what they are. Not give, when God's people don't give generously, it's not just being stingy or something like that. It's theft. It's stealing. I was talking to a guy the other day whose house was robbed. You ever had something robbed? You know how violated you feel when that happens? And here God says, you're robbing me. How, God? How are we stealing from you? By not, by not being generous. So here's his remedy. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. That word there, tithe, means a tenth. Right? Sometimes people say, well, I, I tithe about 4%. That's mathematically impossible. Right? A tithe means tenth. And, and this, by the way, should be our baseline. It should be our starting point. This is Old Testament. We've experienced far more grace even than the people of the Old Testament have. Right? So if you go, okay, that's legalistic. Tenth, that sounds, okay, give 11%. But most of the time when people go, that's legalistic, it's because they want to give less. Which just really says something about your heart. He says, bring the full tenth in and then test me. This is the only place in the Bible God says, test me, I dare you. Bring it on. You don't think I can provide? Test me. And see if I don't open the storehouses of blessing. And that doesn't always mean that it's going to come back financially. Sometimes it comes back in other ways. But God says, test me in this. So, so here's what this is. I just want to make sure we're really clear on this. And again, this is a starting point. This is not the finish line. Uh, this is where we should begin. But, but if you just want to get an understanding of how this works, let's just be very clear here, okay? Um, now, this is math, okay? My wife tutors people in math. So I know some of you have a hard time with math. All right, so here's, here's some money. Here's how this works, all right? I'm going to go slow, all right? Every time you get 10 of these, take one and give it. All right, I'll do that again. <laughs> all right. Every time you get 10 of these, take one of them and give it away. 
Give it to someone where you, you can't control what happens to it. Just be generous about it. Give it away. And then you know what? You get to keep nine. <laughs> you get to keep all this, right? And, and the scripture says that this is for you to enjoy. This is God's blessing to you, right? You get to have fun with this and pay bills with this and eat food with this and go out to dinner with this and go on vacation, and, right? Do you get how that works? It's very simple. Now, when, when these ones start adding zeros, oh, I don't know, God, can I rip this in half? Right? It just gets harder. But at its simplest, that's what this is. It starts with that. And God says, if you will just test me in this, if you will just try me out, just watch what I do. And again, remember, this whole thing is about growing your faith. And when you test God, when you take that risk and God comes through for you, it builds your faith. And then you realize, I could trust him with 10. Maybe I could trust him with 11. Maybe I could trust him with 12. Maybe I could just keep going and keep being more and more generous. Third question you might ask would be, well, what if I can't give that much? And some of you, we've already talked about it, based on the margin, based on decisions you've made that you'd love to undo if you could undo them, but you're, just, you're where you are, you would love to give more. Some of you, you've lost a job. I mean, this is just, like, ah, that sounds great, but I, I can't do that. So, so here's, here's, what I would, here's what I'd tell you. Start with 3P giving. Give priority, give percentage, and give progressively. And you can pick a percentage. Maybe it isn't 10%. Maybe you can't start there work as hard as you can to at least get there and then go further. I love this story. There's a guy in our church that was so concerned about his not wanting to rob God. And he had some unexpected expenses come up, some medical things and some stuff like that. And he looked at his income and he looked at his bills and he said, in order to pay these bills with the income I have, I will not be able to tithe. But I will not rob God to pay men. And so he got a second job. Because he needed it to pay the bills? No. Because he wanted to honor God with the first and the best. And he saw God come through. So if you go, I, I don't know if I can. I don't know if, okay, okay. pick a percentage. Start there. But, but, but think about this. I just want to challenge you on, on some thinking for just a moment. Could it be that perhaps the reason why you've never been able to get over that financial hill is because you've never fully trusted God with your money that way? Could it be? Right? I, I, and I wish I had time to go into all these stories. I've, I've seen people who go, I've never been able to give. I've never been able to give. I've never been able to give. And they've never really tested God in it. And then they do and I don't know how it works, but all of a sudden there becomes margin and all of a sudden debt starts getting paid off and all of a sudden there's more opportunity not to be rich for themselves, but to be more and more generous. So maybe you're in a spot where you're, ah, I, just, I can't get another job. I, I, okay. But could it be the reason you're where you are for as long as you've been there is because you've never tested the Lord that way? Could it be? Here's a, another question you might ask is, how do I give at redemption? 
And again, this isn't about uh, that I'm really trying to get you to give here. I think if your heart is part of our church, it makes sense to me that you would give here. The majority of our giving, we give to the church. Um, But oftentimes, just the reason I bring this up is a lot of people don't always know how many ways there are to give. See, this is such an important deal for us that we try to make it as easy for you as possible. We don't want to create all these hurdles for you in, in obeying the Lord in this. And so there are lots of different ways to give. You can give in person on Sunday. Right? That's the most obvious one, check or cash. Uh, there's envelopes on the side of those giving boxes in the back. You can write it, debit, credit card information there as long as you use that responsibly. You can seal that. No one will see it. It's totally secure. Drop it in there. You can give on Sunday. You can give in the mail. Those envelopes that are attached to those giving boxes are pre-addressed and pre-postage paid. Just take one home, put a gift in it, and, and put it in the mail. You, you don't have to go get a stamp. You don't have to look up the address on the website. This is how committed we are to making it easy for you to obey the Lord. You can give online, redemptionaz.com. And then what Molly and I do, we've set up through our bank just automatic faithfulness where uh, we've used the bill pay function. I'm not crazy about that terminology when it comes to giving. I don't see it that way. But they have a functionality where I say, here's what we want to give, how often we want to give it, and the bank cuts a check and sends it to the church. And that's great because sometimes we go out of town and I don't know about you, I, we hardly ever carry checks around, right? And so we've had times where like four, five, six checks are like in Molly's purse and it's like, we got to get those out of there and give them, right? We don't have that problem anymore. There's lots of ways to give. So here's what I want to do. I want to finish with the challenge. We've said that generosity comes from God and it's easier when you see that everything's from him. It's an intentional thing. And so I want to challenge you with a 90-day tithe challenge. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and grab your program again. And I don't want to coerce anybody into this. As 2 Corinthians 9 said, uh, not under compulsion. So if if you really feel like this is not something you want to take, I want you to feel free to not do that. I'm not strong-arming you, but I I want to challenge you to do something. On, On the back of your connection card, there's a box there uh, that says, I'm taking the 90-day tithe challenge. And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you for 90 days to, as it says in Malachi 3, test the Lord. And be more intentional and more generous in your giving than you normally are. For some of you, that will mean beginning to tithe. Every $10 you get, you'll give one. Others of you, maybe you're already there. Maybe you're already well beyond that. Maybe this could be an opportunity for you to go, for three months, could I, could I get a little more progressive in this? Could we, we might not miss one more percent in this, but, but th- think of what it could do. Think of how it could grow our faith. Would you consider that? Becoming an intentional percentage giver. Testing the Lord. This, by the way, goes through May 19th, if you want to get a sense of where that is. And what I would love you to do is commit to that. And if you do that, we have resources that we will send you. We have support along the way. We have people that are experienced in providing uh, help, financial counseling, that sort of thing. We have a benevolence opportunity in our church, if that's a need for you. right? There's, there's lots of assistance that we can provide, because this is what we want for you. We want it to grow your faith. We're not looking for it to grow our budget. Our budget's set for the year. And we have confidence that you'll give generously to that. So so it's not about that. This is what we want for you. We will help you 
through it. And then I'd love you to keep track. And on May 19th go, God, you said you'd come through. What have you done? Are you willing to take that risk? Are you willing to grow your faith that way? People who give spontaneously tend to spontaneously keep more. And people who give intentionally tend to intentionally give more. So if you're willing to take that challenge, I want you to mark that box. And as you uh, respond to communion, you can put it in the baskets that are there on the tables. Uh, or as you leave today, you can drop this in the, in the giving box. Just to be very clear, I, I won't know who gives what through this. I, I don't know that. Um, I have, I guess, the ability to ask the people who do. I, I feel like as a pastor, I, I could find that information. I choose not to. And so this, is between, uh, this isn't between you and me. This is, this is for the Lord, okay? So if the Lord's moving your heart that way, I challenge you to respond. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your generosity to us. God, thank you for the opportunity that, it, that we have to, to be generous. Thank you for all the good that it does in our church and in the world. Thank you for the churches that are planted and the work that happens outside of our congregation that even happens through the generosity of people in this room. God, grow our faith. Grow our trust in you. Help us to trust you more fully, more deeply. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to respond now by celebrating communion. If you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to come to the tables. Uh, there's tables there in the corners and by the pole. The bread represents the body of Jesus, which was given for you. Uh, the cup represents the blood of Jesus, also given for you. And this is a time not to uh, try to pay God back, not to try to redouble your efforts because he was so good to you, you got to pay him back. This is a time simply to receive his generosity. If you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to the table. If you're here, you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're not a Christian, our uh, encouragement would you to be to not take communion. That would be a hypocritical thing for you if this isn't authentic from your heart. And so take this time instead and pray and, and reflect on God's generosity to us in Jesus. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us. And when your heart's ready, you're free to respond.